Hello and welcome back to Comics Over Time, where we shine a spotlight on classic comic stories and the TV shows or big screen blockbusters they inspired. We'll look to connect the dots from the comic book panels to the moving pictures, examining where the adaptation followed the comics closely and where they decided to go their own way. And when we're done, we'll try and answer that most important of questions, who told the tale best? My name is Dwayne. And with me, as always, my good buddy, Dan. Dan, how's it going? Oh, man, it's going great. It's been a fun week of reading comics and hanging out. Uh, we have avoided major snowstorms into December here in North Dakota, which is always a, a thing that makes people a little happier than they would otherwise be. So, yeah, everything's, everything's good. How about you? Doing well. Appreciated the week off last week because of the holiday uh, in the U.S., Thanksgiving. We were both kind of with family on the weekend when we would normally record the episode. So we've had two weeks and uh, it's we're returning to an old friend. Mm -hmm. That is absolutely correct. So as you all know, who've been following us the last year and a half, our our sort of general plan is we read some comic books, we watch a movie, and then we take a look at which one of them sort of did the job better in terms of treating the character and, and entertaining us and all the like. And a couple of years ago, we did a podcast called Phases of the Moon Knight, which went through pretty much the entire history of Moon Knight as a comic character, leading up into the Moon Knight television show. And we really enjoyed all those comics. We enjoyed that show. While we were beginning that, Jed McKay started what has turned into a pretty remarkable run, uh, writing Moon Knight in the Marvel Comics universe that is coming to a close in just a couple of weeks here with issue yes. number 30, which has been promised to us as the death of Moon Knight. So what we're doing is, over the next three weeks, we're going to be taking a look at the, the McKay run, essentially. We're going to do a quick recap of the first 20 books today, and that's largely because we actually have a podcast previous where we did talk about uh, many of the first 16 or 17. Uh, we're going to then talk about issues 21 to 24 and also take a quick look at the David Pose City of the Dead Moon Knight series that came out over the last few months as well, which has introduced the Scarlet Scarab. Uh, to the Marvel Comics universe uh, in much the same way that that character is is set up in the, the TV show. And then week three, we're going to actually look at the last six issues of Moon Knight, which give us not only a giant size 25, but then this promised death of Moon Knight that comes around in issue 30. Now, it is comics, so followed the immediate next month, we have Vengeance of the Moon Knight, which we don't really know what the, much about. It could either be that somehow he's miraculously survived his wounds and is angry, or it could be there's somebody new under the cowl, and we're going to find out. It is continuing with the same creative team, though. So it will still be McKay and Cappuccio coming back the next month. We just don't know much about it. But so we're going to spend those three weeks looking at this really rather remarkable comic book run. Then we're going to rewatch the television series, which, Dwayne, I don't know about you, but I haven't rewatched that in a long time. I watched it probably three or four times when it came out, getting ready for the show and the like. 
and I haven't really watched it since, so it's going to be interesting kind of going back to an old friend there. And then we're going to challenge ourselves who did it best. All those fine folks at the Marvel Cinematic Universe who gave us six issues of uh, Moon Knight, the television show, or McKay and Capuccio with the 30-issue run that they've been giving us in the comic books. So we're doing something a little different this week, Dwayne, and actually because of the fact that we really don't know how much time it's going to take us to do this, we're going to skip some of our normal pleasantries at the beginning, and we're just going to dig directly into this initial run. We're not going to talk about every one of the books in depth, but we do want to get kind of a quick overview of where Moon Knight's been leading up to this, where it is that McKay takes the character over, and then what some of the main themes we've seen over these first 20 issues are. So what this is really going to be is sort of just a, um, a level set, especially for folks who maybe haven't read these books in a while, or if you're just kind of listening along with us and you haven't read these comics, get you an idea what's going on in Moon Knight, and then sort of uh, get you ready to be invested heavily in a character that's going to be dead in something like 10 days. <laughs> so you're welcome, everyone. Yes. I mean... So, as you as you said, there's still a, another series following it, so we don't but we so we don't know exactly what we're getting you invested in. Um, I am but. both cynical about this actually being anything that's gonna gonna really take, and also salty about the fact that I don't like the fact they're killing off somebody who has historically been one of my favorite characters. And I know he dies all the time; it's not a big deal, but it still is is affecting me. So. They, they even go. talk about it during these books, so we yep. should we should probably dive into this discussion. And I think Dan, the thing that we have to talk about first is what was going on previously with Moon Knight and Kanshu leading into this series, because there was something big, the Age of Kanshu, that occurred that really kind of set the stage for where. Jed McKay picked up this character and where he's gone with him uh, over these first 20 books. Yeah, really, the, the main thing there is just to keep in mind that about a year before these books came out, Marvel came out with a series called The Age of Conchu, where essentially Moon Knight's sort of god, you know, patron, essentially, sort of went crazy and tried to take over the world slash universe, right? And yes. in so doing, he made all sorts of trouble. The Avengers are fighting him. Everybody's fighting him. And awkwardly enough, our hero was on the wrong side of this because Moon Knight, when Khonshu said, hey, let's take over the world, he said, sure. And he helped him. I'll help, yeah. And in the end, it he did sort of come around a little bit. And, and obviously there's reasons why... He's not imprisoned with Conchu, but still, it wasn't a great look for him. And so, a lot of the Marvel Universe is, is pretty angry with Moon Knight at this point. And even those that aren't angry don't really trust him all that much. So he's gone sort of into hiding a little bit. Retrenched into a small neighborhood in New York, and basically said, this is my neighborhood this is where I'm going to be, and these are the people I'm going to protect, and I'm going to stay out of everybody else's business for a while. So the rest of the world doesn't bother me, and I don't bother the rest of the world. 
but if you happen to be in the however many block area around my place, you might not want to be bad guy, right? Yeah, don't don't do bad things at night. Otherwise, you might you might meet up with him. the The other thing is, Kanshu got kind of hauled off and is in sort of like God prison in in yep. Asgard as well, and so he has, I would say, limited influence. He yep. they he apparently can talk and with with his his fist of Kanshu, and he can assist him in a limited capacity, but they're not like, not like some of the previous comic series that we've read where, where we were seeing Kanshu like right there with him, talking to him, all this sort of thing. It, it really is sort of a, an effort that needs to be made in order for, for the, uh, for the fist and the God to speak to one another. And at the beginning of the series, Mark Spector doesn't even know that he can do that. He is yes. he is essentially fully estranged. Things will happen that we'll talk about that that makes him uh, sort of aware that there's a wider universe out there in terms of Kanchu that that allows him to sort of find new ways to contact him and and to to deal with things. But initially, he's very much like my God is my God is no longer around and can't help me, but. I'm still his fist. So he's in a weird state at that point. So, but yeah. so let's, so let's jump in and let's talk about the, the start of this series. The first uh, six issues are, are actually a collected work called the midnight mission. And that, that is not just the name of these books. That is actually kind of the, kind of the purpose that we learn that Moon Knight has has picked up and and kind of what he is trying to do, uh, in in this small neighborhood in New York. Yeah, really, what it's going to be is that the Midnight Mission is not only what he calls the the building, the essentially office that he has for himself, uh, but also it is really sort of his his purpose that his Midnight Mission is to protect the travelers of the night within his area. And the Midnight Mission itself is a place where people can come and almost Godfather style um, make their requests to to sort of Doc, or Mr. Knight who sits in his in his chair and listens and then will will sort of assist them or or provide guidance or or whatever protection that he can uh, based on people's needs. So it's, it's interesting that that's kind of where he starts. He is yeah. not starting in his mansion. He is not starting at Gina's diner. He is not starting anywhere that we've ever seen him before. And I think that leads into what we wanted to talk about as our first point. And that is that if you are a longtime Moon Knight fan, it's a little bit weird because he's essentially completely unmoored from everything we know, right? If you followed along with phases, you know he had a, a long-standing support cast of characters who he had been friends and associates with for decades. And yeah. what happens over the course of this first few, few books is we start to realize that he is alienated from almost all of them. We don't know anything about Jean-Paul slash Frenchie, right? We don't know anything about Marlene. We don't really know anything about 
any of the folks that worked at his at the mansion um, or anything like that. All of the folks who would have been his old support cast are just yeah. gone and not mentioned. Zena and her kids, any any of any of the people that it feels like that we would have seen in a previous series, they're just that. They're they're nowhere to be found, and and like you you get the impression, and and he it's not even so much you get the impression he basically spells out over over this first few couple books that those people are all dead or will not talk to him. Uh, his, mm-hmm. his his love interest and daughter have moved out of the country they're over in europe somewhere they want nothing to do with him they think he's he's dangerous and 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 a bad guy uh we don't know about about frenchie uh jean paul at at all and like it's 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 weird because like you you do sort of you almost expect that you're going to see some of these these people show up at least eventually but Jed McKay over over kind of the discussions that are kind of the reveals that Mark Spector has early on in this book, he he basically spells it out that that we're not going to see these characters and 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 what's interesting is is that he's telling a new set of characters that that we kind of get immediately introduced to that end up being this sort of same support system like he had with Gina, like he had uh with 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 um uh I can't Jean Paul. Gina, right? Marlene, um yeah, and Frenchie yeah. essentially. And Fr- yeah. So who are some of the new people that uh we are seeing in this series? So really I think there's four main characters who come in to fill the roles that have been that have been sort of lost to sort of fill those those spots not only in the storyline but also in in mark specter's life and that is reese who is a young woman who in the very first issue has been turned into a vampire by a vampire pyramid scheme organization that we'll be talking about today uh he instead of killing her ends up saving her because she's like like i don't i'm a vegetarian i don't want to hurt anybody these people did this to me i don't i don't want to get dusted because he killed the other vampires the ones that had turned them and the like um and instead he's like okay you know let's it's a valid point and so she comes to work at the mission and she's very similar to him somebody that you know she obviously is only able to come out at night which is sort of when moon Knight's active as well She's somebody who is very much having to deal with a, you know, a violent urge to uh, to do things that would be socially unacceptable, much the same way that Mark Spector is. And so those two get along really well, and I think they're a cool combination. We've got Soldier, who is a young man who's got a, a checkered history as well. He was a Hydra soldier, and then he managed to get out of that and is sort of rehabilitating and living with his mom and moon knight also sort of brings him in and eventually because of the fact that that mark specter helps him he becomes just as attached and just as dedicated to 
Moon Knight as he was to any of his other previous uh, organizations. We've got Tigra, who comes in relatively quickly, an old friend of his, uh, an old romantic interest uh, from his time in the West Coast Avengers. And she's somebody who's got some powers and can help him in missions, but also is there sort of just as somebody, like the only person really, from his previous life at all, who he has any contact with right now. He's essentially cut off from almost everyone. And then relatively quickly, we get Dr. Bader as well, who is a new character created as well. Uh, actually, Reese, Soldier, and Bader are all new characters, who is another fist. So we find out that Mark Spector is not the Fist of Khonshu. He is a Fist of Khonshu. And that Moon Knight is one of the Fists, and that Dr. Bader, when he puts on his, uh, his raiments, becomes Hunter's Moon, who is almost like the right and left hand of, of Khonshu. And through him, we start to learn a lot of backstory about how the sort of mythology of the Moon Knights and the Fists of Khonshu works and has worked over the centuries. And this is something that a lot of people have been wondering about getting filled in ever since we had that issue a ways back where we saw another Moon Knight from like back in Western times and other Moon Knights from different times. So we'd kind of just in the last couple of years gotten that idea that the Moon Knight was a title that was passed down, but it had never been fleshed out until this series. And Beta yeah. does some of that. So what did you yeah. think of these characters? I I really like Reese and Soldier quite a bit. I think I think they do a really good job of being kind of the the right the the right hands of of our of our main character, Mark Spector. Um Reese is really interesting. She kind of has this love-hate relationship with with Mark. Uh I think she appreciates the fact that that, that he saved her uh but he you know he's real distant she's real distant they're they're a lot alike in many ways and and it's the the back and forth between them i think is really really fun actually a lot of the dialogue between those two is they're, they're kind of jabbing at each other kind of pushing their limits to see how far they can go and and it's really interesting and soldier soldier's a character i think that's that that's really i i'm hoping before this series ends or before we move on and don't get to see anything more from soldier i hope we get a little bit more about him because i think like like we've got a little bit of his backstory and we know like some of his abilities and some of the things that he learned how to do uh by being a member of hydra but he just it seems like there's a, an interesting character there that I, I, I want to learn more about, I guess, more than anything else. There you go. So, early suspicion, by the way. You know, you know me and my theories. I think right now Soldier is more likely to be the new Fist of Conchu than any other character. I, I would agree with you. So I would that, say that there's a, a very good sense. chance because he's extremely <clears throat> dedicated to yeah. Mr. Knight. He's extremely dedicated to the mission. He wants to make up for things. And he he is extremely powerful as he's been turned into a vampire. So it would be interesting with what we found out about the problems that 
Khonshu has with vampires over time to try and see that dynamic as well. But that's, that's, I mean, we're still not far enough away. Maybe he dies in issue 30 and that's not going to happen at all. So we'll right. find out. I will also warn you that I have to be careful today because Dwayne has decided to wait and only read the books when we talk about them. So you're only up through issue 20. Is that correct? That is correct. I'm current as of issue 29. So I know things he doesn't and I have to be a little careful here. So even <laughs> I suppose having said what I said gives away that soldier doesn't die in the next nine books. So I apologize for that, sir. But oh, that's all right. Um, what, but in any case, yeah. As a longtime fan of Mark Spector and Moon Knight, what did you think of the fact that he is not the sole fist of Kanshu? That that there is Hunter's Moon, there is a new character introduced here that is another fist of Kanshu at the same time as our man Mark Spector is. It did did that really kind of hit you? Like did that was that bad or 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 did you just sort of roll with it? You know, I think even more than rolling with it, there is a sometimes there is a change made to existing lore that just makes so much sense. You're like, well, obviously. You know, why why in fact would there have been a a god from ancient Egypt, somebody who's been around for thousands of years, who just never did anything until one day he just decided to give powers to this white dude who happens to stumble into his temple, right? Right. It, it makes so much more sense that there has been a legacy of fists all along. The only thing that doesn't make sense is that nobody ever knew or mentioned it in the Marvel Universe. Like, oh, hey, yeah, you know, I, I met one of your, uh, like Captain America, yeah, I met one of the others fighting in, you know, North Africa back in World War II or something like this. Never comes up. Sure. So that part's weird. But I, th I think it's similar to decade or more ago now there was an extension to the green arrow mythol or the green lantern mythology where previously you just had like the the green ring and then sinestro had a yellow ring and they brought out like an entire rainbow of other colors you had red you had purple you had all of these and then an extension of the mythos out from that was done as well uh in the rebirth stories and the like and it opened up this whole new avenue of storytelling and i think it worked really well and I'm hoping that's going to be what happens here. There's so far every sign that putting putting Mark Spector and Moon Knight and Mr. Knight into this larger world context opens up a lot more cool options. And it doesn't really cut anything off. I don't think there was ever anything about Moon Knight where you're like, oh, it's important to the character that he's the only ever right. fist of Conchu, right? Yeah. And so he's never he's never had that pride of somehow you know I'm the only one. It's he's always been the only one, but he just the, didn't yeah know any it's, better. It's, it's the only one he knew of, and now and now we get introduced because the other interesting thing is like Doctor Bader knows that Mark Spector is the other fist of Kanchu. He he's aware of this. This is this is not surprising information to him. And in fact, it, it seems like he almost seeked out 
Mark Spector in the in the early books of this series, and and was was like yep. introduced himself and w- was like, you know, the way things are going right now, the things. Things that the way the way you're dealing with being the fist of Kanchu really isn't the way it, it should have gone. And that kind of leads us into talking about like new lore that has come up through through this. And and I think that's one of the best things about introducing another fist of Kanchu is because it does sort of lend itself to the ability to add a lot of lore, add a, add a lot of backstory to this character that we didn't have before and and it makes it reasonable and plausible and and some of the some of the things that we've found out because of dr bader in this series is that there is supposed to be a ritual that occurs when there is a new fist of Kanshu, and when you get this title you're kind of bestowed the knowledge and memories of the other fists of Kanshu before you. And so Dr. Bader has all this knowledge and information and memories of all these past fists of Kanshu that Mark doesn't have. And he's like, mm-hmm. there is like fighting styles and different things like this that, that, that Dr. Bader has access to. And he's like surprised almost that, that Mark doesn't have this and is asking him questions and and we end up it's, it's weird because we see there's a point where zodiac one of the one of the big villains early on in this series is attacking or going to attack the 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 mission the midnight mission and kind of the surrounding uh people around the mission as a way to kind of uh punish uh or or cause uh, Mark Spector as Moon Knight to react, and he's in New Jersey. He's just saved his doctor, who the Zodiac had kidnapped, and Mark asks Kanshu for help and gets this like secret passage through an alternate dimension to get back to New York and to back to the mission real quickly, and we actually see alternate version like wraith versions of moon knight previous moon knights that are kind of in this i don't know alternate state they're 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 like it's it's really weird they're they're just sort of flying around they're flying after them they they feel uh like he's an intruder and they actually end up helping mark specter and tiger beat the zodiac and his gang uh because they follow him out of this this secret passage to this alternate dimension. But we have that. We have Mark. Doctor Bader ends up dying during during this set of books and gets resurrected. And he tells Mark that that while the body can be resurrected, their mind takes a hit every time. And so sooner or later, they can't keep just getting resurrected. That eventually their mind is going to go so far that they're going to end up like these wraith versions that we saw in this alternate dimension. And it's like, there's all these really interesting things that we're, that we're finding out just because we have this other fist that, that I think is, is really great. Yeah. I think uh, later on when Vader's talking about it, he 
almost makes it sound like it's a Valhalla type of situation where after they're done, they then go to the table with their brothers for, for, you know, eternity. And I think they just kind of end up as crazy wraiths when someone decides to do something to take them off. And that's, that's how they, when they, when they leave the table and go to, go to do work, they look a little scary. Um, It's interesting trying to look at kind of how this works. I also wonder where was Bader during the age of Conchu? I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't he have been helping out with this too? So I I have problems with some of this. It it does not all make sense, but I like the character. I think that he's an interesting addition. The issue number three, which is the first full edition of him, uh, is worth like 50 some bucks already. It it sort of um, jumped in price because any new Moon Knight character tends to uh, to make some excitement now, so that's that's kind of cool. He is someone I think we're going to see a bit of, and even if he does end up going away at some point, there now we know can be additional Moon Knights, so there'll always be that ability for someone else to 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 sort of rise up. We've uh, we've not only seen him in the past, but in one of the one of the issues we see Reese uh, actually. Um, needs training and they talk to Blade and Blade actually is like I owe a debt because of and we find out that there was a there was actually another um, and who did you say do you have the name yeah, I think you had the yeah. Name, so you? so there was there was a short uh, kind of secondary story in book 20 called Moon Debt where we f- learn of a another fist of Kanchu named Denise a woman uh, in 1977 that was helping Blade uh, with some vampires or something like this. They went on a mission together. They worked together. And and Denise ends up saving Blade during this mission. And so Blade owes a debt uh, to the Fist of Kanshu that, that Mark ends up uh, calling on Blade to teach Reese how to be a vampire because he doesn't know how to be a vampire, obviously. And obviously as a vampire slayer, it's kind of weird. That would be who you'd call to do the training, but I guess that's you, uh, you talk to, who you know, so anyways, though, uh, and then Tigra, obviously, you know, she's, she's been in on a lot of this. And so she's now navigating the fact that there's two of the moon Knights wandering around and the like and everything. So, it's been it's been interesting. I like though for the most part the new addition because it does allow for a bit more of the kind of goofy mystical sort of stuff, uh, and that may help to again set Moon Knight apart a little bit from some of the other some of the other characters out there. So all right. I'm all for it. You know, one thing we have not talked a lot about is the fact that we're talking about Mark Spector a lot, but we aren't talking about his other personalities his other his other identities Stephen Grant Jake Lockley and for the most part we don't see those characters at all through through about the first dozen or so books in this run what did you think of that yeah it's been weird and it's been difficult kind of to, to understand and get used to. And in fact, that was probably for me one of the toughest parts at the beginning is that the system that is Moon Knight, right, has three different alters in it. We've got Jake, we've got Steven, and we've got Mark. 
my favorite in many ways has always been Jake and the fact that he's not around going and hanging out and getting intel and, and talking to folks at the street level. Ah, that's, that's unfortunate to me. And just that idea that his DID, as we define it and understand it now, going all the way back to in the early times when, you know, I don't think that the writers at the, that time, Mensch, was really thinking of things in that complex terms. It's always been those three altars, those three people who've been Moon Knight. And really in this one now, it's Mark. And yeah. when he goes to the, when he goes to his psychologist, you know, he's like, well, we should talk about this. And, and she's like, you know, your, your DID is not the problem. The problem is that you decided to try and overthrow the planet with a rogue God, right? That is, that is not on your, yeah. your DID. But yeah, I, I find it interesting. It, what it comes down to it, it, as we learn is that at a certain point, he's just really worried about trying to make sure everything's normal, right? And he wants to, because he's, he's working with new people, he doesn't want to try and explain it all, and he kind of just keeps it all hidden. And it is very, very troubling in a lot of ways, and it's weird in a lot of ways. But I guess that is that is kind of the way that the way that this one has been working is that Mark has been the altar for the most part that's that's the one doing most of the acting and we we are following him and that's the personality for most part that all of the other characters know and so it's kind of interesting like at the end of what Eric 12 or 13 when Steven actually breaks out and prevents Mark from killing Zodiac because he's like, no, look, you can't go around killing people who are defenseless in front of your new friends because they're going to yeah. remember that, you know? Yes. So it, that, that, that moment was actually the first time we had seen one of the other altars emerge. And yep. it, it actually ended up kind of spurring on the next sort of three or four books where there actually was, a, a dialogue and some discussion between the the altars and trying to, I guess, reassess what the what the how how they were going to coexist because basically yes, Mark had kind of almost suppressed them, and they got an opportunity to voice their displeasure about this. They're, they I think they rightly so have basically said, you know, we've been a team, we've worked together. This is how we've always done things. And you just can't be, you can't do it on your own. In fact, I think that was basically what they said was you can't do this on your own. And, and he is fighting some people that are being sent after him by, by this like vampire structure that turned Reese into the vampire and is trying to get Moon Knight out of the way so that they can kind of become the big vampire outlet in, in, in New York. He's fighting these villains and that are coming after him at their request, and he's getting beat up. It, it took Hunter's Moon to come along to save him and Tiger to save him in order for, for that to happen, and, and it's because they have to work together. They, they can't, it can't just be the Mark show because the the way 
the character has always worked in the way like all the things sort of work together they he needs those other 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 identities and and it was it was interesting to see that dialogue over top of this fight where he's losing because he's trying to say no i don't need you and they're like no you actually do need us and the proof of it is that you're getting your butt kicked by these villains to then them kind of agreeing to assist mark and helping him do take down this structure and then you see Stephen Grant take over and he goes and gets him a haircut and basically cleans him up because he's an absolute mess. We we saw at the end of of one of the books after Tigress shows up, he he finally takes off the 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 mask so you see what what's underneath, what Mark looks like, and he looks beaten and battered and bloodied and just terrible, and like he has not kept kept up on himself very well and like jake to figure out where where they need to go next how they can go and and kind of take it to the structure instead of waiting for the structure to come at him or whomever they send at him it, it was it was great to see that those characters finally did get some light and and got to 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 assist in the story because it it did feel like it was missing through that first that first two two uh, arcs, I guess, the first twelve books. Yeah, to me, I, I think that's the brilliance of it too. Is that what what we really get through the first eleven or so issues of this is a view at a character, a view at a person who is just fundamentally broken, and he's broken because he's lost all of his friends, he's lost everybody he loves. And it seems to him at that point that he doesn't even want anyone close to him because every person who gets close to him either dies or suffers horribly for their association to him, right? And so not only is he cutting himself off from all the people he used to know in terms of, you know, his his staff at, at the, the mansion and Gina and all those folks, but he's cutting himself off from all of his friends in the Avengers. He's cut himself off really from just about everybody and just gone into this little area and said, I'm just going to be here. I'm going to be me and I'm going to protect these people. And then slowly over these, he starts getting people who come back into his life, but he doesn't, he kind of keeps everybody at arm's length. He doesn't really have any friends. And there's a point in like issue 11 where we find out that Tigra actually has been spying on him, essentially, she was, she was sent by the Avengers, by Black Black, Black, Black uh, sent by the Avengers, sent by Black Panther, to specifically keep an eye on Mark. And and when she tells him that, he's like, I know. She's like, Well, why did you let me stay? And he's, like, you know, I just really needed a friend. And that was it's heartbreaking, but what it really shows you is this is a character who the altars really are even fragmented in terms of they're not speaking to each other really they've come to this detente but he's alone in every way that he can be alone and then we start building up again where he starts to depend on people he starts to have friends and folks he can work with and then you start going from this everything is terrible and now he's rebuilding his life out and that's kind of where we're at you know as of 20 now is he started to get things together. He's got 
people he trusts, people who are trying to help him, people who are working with him. And, and he's kind of putting together a new life, which Jim McKay is about to blow up, evidently. Right? So, yeah. I think it's done brilliantly, though. I mean, he is, he is just so alone in these, in these first 10 or 15 issues. It's, it's absolutely astonishing. So, yeah, so we don't have, we don't have the altars. We don't have, you know, any, any of the other stuff. What we do have is a whole pile of new villains, right? Yes. And it's interesting because I think at one point, even his therapist says, well, you know, do you, is, are these returning villains or, or whatever? He's like, you know, there was a time in my life where people didn't tend to fight me twice or something along these lines, right? Because early on, he murdered everybody that he, he ran across, right? They all ended up impaled. I think we even had that as a running gag in the previous yes. podcast. The number yes. of people who just, oops, he's dead. You know, he, he didn't intentionally murder him, but there's another one on the stake. So we've got a lot of new villains here, and a lot of them are really deep cuts from back in the day. So, you know, we start out with uh, some of these, these new vampires who we'll talk about separately. But you've got 8-Ball, and you've got um, Marsdale Slaughter, and you've got... Who else? Let me... Waxman, you've got Jigsaw. Uh, if you want to even get into uh, the... the we, we had Taskmaster, who was approached by the structure to go after Mark Spector, but wouldn't do it. And then we had Nemean and the Grand Mall actually or new accept, characters. Uh, who who actually accepted the accepted the uh the the contract and, and did go after um Mark in mm-hmm. this. But but yeah there's there's a lot of characters here I don't recognize and and towards the end of uh in the last couple books, we saw C- Commodore Planet, and then there's uh, these assassins that were hired and were killing off old members of kind of the yep the 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 secret kind of council, the Shadow Council that he was working with yep. back uh, a couple series ago. The Harlequin Hitmen is what they were called, and it's like I've never. <laughs> I haven't heard of like really any of these of these characters yeah. before, but they're like they some Super of these have been ar- they they've been around, I guess. Like, yep. I mean, the the Commodore he's been around for decades, and like all of these are characters who've been around, or or most of them. Even Zodiac is actually a character who's been around. I didn't even realize that he had a really? three issue series a few years ago by Joe Casey called zodiac and uh or zodiac dark rain or something along those lines and so it's interesting the way that mckay just sort of trolls along and he, he trolls in all of these uh these old characters and then sort of gives them new life and, and the like so zodiac's someone i want to talk about later because he's a very interesting uh character i also think uh you mentioned taskmaster he had my favorite quote, I believe, of yeah. the entire of the entire run up to what we're talking about, 
And I just want to read the whole thing. He was talking to the leader of the vampire syndicate that's trying to build this triangle marketing thing of vampires, right? Uh And the guy's like, I need somebody to just kill Moon Knight for me. Taskmaster, will you kill Moon Knight? And he says, no, I am afraid. And the guy's like, you're a coward? He's like, yeah, call me whatever you want. I'm not going up against this guy. And then he describes him. And he, he takes out a bullet. He says, this is Moon Knight. It's a 454 ACP hollow point, a flying ashtray. You put one of these through a person, it comes out the other end turned inside out, mushroomed, torn up, twisted down from all the soft tissue trauma it's caused. He'll come at you faster than the speed of sound, go right through you, and won't care what it'll do to him. And when he comes out the other side, he'll leave a hole in your life big enough to drive the L train through. And as weird as it is, from reading 350-some issues of Moon Knight over the last couple of years, I think both of us can say it's not an inappropriate it's not a not not an inappropriate description of the character no it is and and the it actually reminds me a lot of the the line that he had when he talked about himself uh in the bar with with no name was it yeah uh he, you know he even basically, i don't know what i'm gonna do yeah he says <laughs> he says you know he come, he goes in there and this is like the hangout for all of like super villains and stuff and he's like listen you're not going to do anything to me because i don't even know what i'm capable of doing and so you definitely don't know what i'm capable of doing so we're just going to call this a truce i'm going to ask you for some information one of you is going to give me the information and then i'm going to leave and 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 that's it and so it's just like there is it, it really does sort of hit home that like not only is he alone, but he is da- he he is he is dangerous, and he is looked upon as being very dangerous uh, from the outside. Yeah, he is he is someone who, in the way McKay writes him, is he's trying to do the right thing, but there is just an implicit danger about just being in the area with him. Proximity, yeah. Just a proximity alert should sound when Mr. Knight or Moon Knight comes near you because something bad could happen. And it's probably not, you know, well, in some cases in these, it's because he's decided to. But a lot of times, he just attracts this sort of terribleness to him. Now, there are some things he does in this, like putting Waxman in a sealed cylinder and then maybe actually putting cement over him. I'm not sure. Yes, I think he does. Based on the way that the book ten ends, he he threatens Waxman, saying that he's going to basically bury this sphere that he's put Waxman in for the ability to interrogate him and find out where the doctor actually or the therapist actually is, and he gives him up, gives up the location of the therapist, but then he starts the. He starts the cement mixer and walks away, and no. ba- and and basically, you know, I think he did actually uh, so, kill the wax man. Well, or he buried him. That's the thing. Or buried, him buried him because he's he, in a he yes. doesn't need he doesn't need air, and he's trapped inside this. He's essentially like Clayface in the DC universe. He can turn himself into anything, 
but he's been sealed in a ball that has a microphone in it so he could so Moon Knight could talk to him that he can't get out of. And now he's like, I wonder how long till you go crazy hanging out in a completely dark space that you can't get out of. And then he walks away. He also does some really nasty things to Nemean and and Grand Maul. Uh, There are times where it's obvious that he's not Batman. He's not one of these characters who, when it comes down to it, is not going to kill. He very much will go that extra step if he feels it's warranted. It's it's kind of scary. When he rescues the therapist, Dr. Sturman, he he takes out Jigsaw like and like Dr. Sturman actually has to plead with him to stop. Yeah. And so there is there is repressed anger and some things like this that are going on that that do sort of come out i think at times which which is where he's saying you know this is why you don't know what i'm capable of this is why the taskmaster doesn't want to fight me because he is capable of just sort of snapping and going off uh way beyond maybe where he even intends to go when he's starting off yep so we got all this stuff but overall when you look at the first 20 issues that we're looking at. I think that, you know, if we look at the fact the cast changes, the powers change, all of that, there are really three main storylines that are going on through all of this. You've got the storyline of Zodiac, who is this sort of crazy character who has decided that Moon Knight is not the hero he should be because he's not going around carving moons into people's faces anymore and just living his best life, right? Doing the things that he was doing in some of the previous uh, volumes of Moon Knight, actually. Yep, exactly. Stuff we had seen him done that he's trying to to stop. And so he decides that he's going to destroy Moonlight's life until eventually he gets angry enough that he just lets go and becomes self-actualized as a crazy maniac again, right? And that results in a few things happening. He attacks the mission. He essentially sicks a weird sweat guy on an entire building of old people and then makes them attack people until Moon Knight takes him out. Essentially, he's got all these little plots that he does to try and weaken Moon Knight. And then eventually that results in him attacking the mission, shooting at Soldier, unfortunately or fortunately, Reese hops in front. The bullet goes through, hits Soldier, and then turns him into a vampire instead of killing him. So, and that becomes part of a storyline we're going to see kind of continuing out. After which, as it looked like Soldier was dead, Moon Knight got very angry and just about killed him, and that's when Steven had to come and save things. But, so that Zodiac storyline lasted about 12 issues, right? Yeah, I found it very interesting, especially looking back at the Zodiac books by Joe Casey that were the ones from a couple years earlier when he came in. Those books are much more graphic. And it's weird because the Zodiac in those is a lot meaner and a lot crazier. This Zodiac by McKay almost seems like He's a guy who's heard about Zodiac 
and decided he wants to become him. He's still got the Zodiac's power, essentially, is that he doesn't feel pain. So yeah. it's kind of... Um, but it's weird because the way that the story's written, it almost seems like Zodiac himself is one of those fanboys that just wants Moon Knight to be the guy that he was before right. and, and hates seeing him happy, right? What's a little weird is I think there's a little of all of us in Zodiac where we love these characters. I'm a big Moon Knight fan, right? Mm-hmm. But do I really just want to see him happy? Because he's been happy every once in a while, but happy's kind of boring. And this is this is that weird line that we always ride with all of the media. You know, right. you want Harry Potter to be happy and have his family and not to have any problems, but then there's no story. So dead parents and a guy trying to kill him his entire life makes for a much more interesting, if miserable, childhood. Right. Right. And so I think it's that whole thing that kind of is what Zodiac represents. He's absolutely awful. Yeah. But he's he it's also interesting how he interfaces there. Um but after that he gets caught, he gets put away, and then we're on to the next Yeah, yeah and but we might not be done with him because we do get a glimpse of him. He's being in like book eighteen, he's getting interviewed by uh, a Dr. Plesco. And like, as Plesco is like trying to learn more about the Zodiac, he, he's asking him questions and that. And Zodiac's kind of answering, kind of deferring, trying to get an idea of who this doctor is. And they kind of go back and forth. And finally, when Dr. Plesco leaves, he like kind of sort of snaps a little bit and basically threatens to, you know, starts yelling and starts threatening to kill him. And so I don't know if we're done with the Zodiac in this, in this series, it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the, in the next, next 10 books. So dear listener, if, if you could visualize Grogu sitting there with his little cup of tea, just sort of silently <laughs> watching that, that would be me right now. Having read, you know, read another nine. Right ahead. Yes. Yes. That, that Dwayne hasn't, but yes. Yeah. So He's a he's a character that retains our interest at least for yeah. now. We'll just say that. But I, I do think that that was a really interesting storyline that that sets things up on a number of levels, and that that really was pretty cool. But that led into with the whole vampire thing when Reese got shot and accidentally made a vampire by saving soldier's life by. Well, didn't really save his life. He died, but then he came back as a vampire. Yeah. That evidently ticked off the guy from the vampire pyramid syndicate because he's like, hey, nobody else should be making vampires in Manhattan. This is my thing, right? Right. And so then he decides he's going to get back at Moon Knight and Reese by, like, killing them and everything else, which becomes the second storyline we've been pursuing. And that is that this guy is trying to get a franchise, essentially, for other parts of the world for his pyramid vampire idea. So he decides to hold a big party in New York and Moon Knight decides to crash it. This this kind of pyramid thing is called the structure and, and he thinks he's basically modernized vampirism 
in in the world and and thinks that this needs to be franchised and taken around the world and so he invites all these representatives of the other vampire kind of syndicates throughout the world to this conclave in new york where he can show off the system and how effective he is at you know getting new vampires and 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 having having this whole structure thing set up in new york and the he would have gotten away with it too if it hadn't been for that pesky moon knight character and he tried to deal with moon knight by hiring a couple of assassins and because when talking to Taskmaster, he's like, look, you're not going to find anybody who's ever dealt with Moon Knight who's stupid enough to take a contract to kill Moon Knight. You're going to have to go international or find somebody. So Jed McKay makes a couple new characters. And he calls them international assassins and the like. And he brings them in, Grand Maul and Nemean. Nemean's super strong. Grand Maul can like mess with people's heads. And they just about take him down. But then... They're they're defeated and um, and he's able to he's able to be kept alive. What's interesting is as new characters, there's something actually I heard on the the end of the night podcast that I had not noticed, but now makes me laugh. If you look at the issue cover for issue number seventeen, you will see it's Grand Mall. And a lion attacking Moon Knight. Because evidently, when the cover was sent out, the instructions for what Nemean was had not been given to the artists. And so that's oh. the Nemean lion. And the artist just drew a Nemean lion and didn't realize there was a character named Nemean. So in the actual issue, he's drawn as a person who looks a little bit more like Sabretooth. But he does yeah. not have the ability to turn into a lion. So this is just literally that the the like note that went out to I don't think it's it's Capuccio. It must somebody must have I can't I don't even know who drew the uh, the cover here. Let's see if I can actually find that out. Um cover artist is yeah. So the cover artist is Steven Segovia, who was not on the book obviously in interiors and he just drew a lion because that's what it sounded like he was supposed to do and nobody caught it anywhere through production and so out it comes i ha i i hadn't even put two to two together but yeah you see grand mall in the background you see moon knight and then you see the giant lion who is attacking him and it's just like what the heck yes. and if you go into the book you will notice a distinct lack of lions anywhere in the actual comic book. <laughs> that is so, that is fantastic. A weird little window into the the way that comic books are created, I guess. So, but they're it's, interesting enough characters. Oh, go ahead. I, I was going to say it was interesting the way that that kind of story arc ended because we have this this conclave occurring, and it is you have Moon Knight drops. Nemean and Grand Mall into the middle of this like formal dining room where they're all sort of congregating at various tables, listening to the head of the of the structure in New York talking about how great his vampire structure thing is. And then, you know, him and Tigra pop in 
and are like, surprise, we're here. We've got a gift for you. And Reese and Soldier are messing with the security system to this hotel that they're in and cause the sprinkler system to be set off. Only he has consecrated their, the, the water in the sprinkler system. So it was holy water on vampires, basically causing them all to burst into flames. Because he's a priest. Because so he's the go. priest of Kanshu, yes. I did not know it could be just any religion's priest that did this, but I guess that makes sense. So yes. there you go. So, but yeah, that was that was kind of crazy. So that all linked together, sort of, and and I liked that it was kind of a new way of looking at vampires because they also went to Chinatown, and there's a vampire there who's very powerful who comes from a different line, not the line of Dracula, that was established separately. And she kind of doesn't want anything to do with this, but there's the implication that there's a much more powerful, older vampire who she's hiding from as well. And so I think we're leading into where, especially with McKay essentially also establishing that the, the fists of Khonshu being sort of these protectors of the Traveler of the Night have a natural long-term animosity for vampires. That in many cases, one of the things he's angriest about that finally makes him show himself to Moon Knight after all these years of, of staying separate is that Moon Knight has now taken into his protection a vampire. And he's like, dude, this is specifically the thing that we do not do because these are the enemy, right? You kill vampires when you see them, you're yeah. a fist of conchu, right? They're, so I they're, would... doing, they're doing bad things at night. You're supposed yes. to be protecting people at night. Ergo, you you should be friends with the these. travelers of the night, right? They yes. are the reason we do this, and so it's interesting because he's now created this where there's still a lot of vampires out there unaccounted for, like the Chinatown ones and the big bad and everything. And it's obvious this is a thing for the Moon Knights. I would not be surprised at all if in the next few arcs we return to this and sort of, and it looks like there's some big vampire happenings coming up in marvel in the next year so i think we're going to see some more of this but so it's it's interesting and i like the way that he again established the lore it would make sense in in many ways that almost moon knight is the enemy of the universal monsters right right because he starts out against werewolf by night now he's fighting vampires we just need him to take on you know the the uh who would it be well, the mummy, I'm sure he'll probably get to that. We got, we got Frankenstein. Uh, he may have already faced a Frankenstein, kind of, didn't he? Because in his first few, there was the guy with the bolts in his head. So right. really, it's built into his DNA to fight these kind of creatures. So we'll see how it goes. But I, I really liked that storyline and how it kind of dovetailed in. And then the last thing that we're going to kind of take a look at is in 19 and 20, we start moving out of... We had the Zodiac thing, now we had the, the vampire kind of overarching storyline for a while. The new arc starting in 19 that Dwayne's only going to have a taste of so far is that there's something weird going on with kind of a villain that Moon Knight knows is out there who's been causing him trouble for a while, but he doesn't really understand what all's going on. So in 19, he fights a guy named Commodore Planet, 
who's another of those deep cut type of villains. He uh, he looks sort of like a I don't know some some guy who's go ahead. He, he looks like to me M Bison from the Street Fighter series. <laughs> if you're if you're at all familiar with him, he's got like the black hat, like military sort of hat. He's got like a suit on. And he's just like big as a house and he's like punching people and stuff. Reminded me of like the cover of 19 when you see him. I immediately thought of M. Bison from the Street Fighters. All right. Very cool. So, yeah, so he's, they, they end up fighting him down in Subterranea where he's kind of uh, impressed a lot of the mole men to work for him. And Moon Knight's like, you know, whether it's above or below, if it's in my neighborhood, I'm dealing with it. So he went down there and we're working on that. And then in 20, we have a story where actually a couple of, again, sort of deep cut, um, deep cut assassins are going in and killing off members of the Shadow Cabinet, which is that group that worked in the Shadow Keep or that he talked to from the Shadow Keep on all those screens back in some of the, the books from the mid-2000s. And so... I think three or four of them are killed and then they're able to save probably the last four or five. So what did you think of these last few then? What, uh, what, what do you see happening? With, with I don't, what we're I, here? So I was wondering where they were going to go after they kind of took care of the structure and we, the, the book, when he fights Commodore planet, I'm just like, I don't really get what's going on. I don't know who this character is. I don't know like who these like little mole men people are at all. And I didn't have, and then we get into 20 and it's all these people I used to know and work with one by one are dying and they're all dying on the same night. And they figure out that this is going on after like the first two die and they're able to save, you know, three or four of them, but two or three more die. So there's like four that die and like three that get saved basically is what ends up happening. And I'm like, I, I don't know what that had to do with the Commodore planet book, the, the book before, but there's these hitmen, the Harlequin hitmen that did the killing of these care of these shadow council members. And they're talking about the ghost on the telephone and how they yep. had their mind wiped basically and are just following orders but i don't know anything more that's that's where we ended book 20 and so i didn't know there was any sort of connection between commodore planet and these hitmen or if there was a connection and i'm very interested in seeing where where these hitmen have come from and why who hired them, who the ghost on the telephone is and, and what that's going to mean for, for, for what's coming up, I guess. Yep. So it looks like, I think that the ones that died were mercy, junior Birdman, uh, guy fingers, sheriff, and then Sigmund. And they all had Sigmund, sort yeah. of code names and the like, but that was, uh, those were the ones that ended up. And then he, he like ends up calling eight ball and eight balls hanging out in his tub with his eight ball helmet on. Yes. Like you do. And go for eight ball. He, he answers the phone and says, go for eight ball. I loved it. I loved it. 
he's the one that knew that they were the Harlequin hitmen, by the way. He he actually yep. saw a picture of them and that. The I was gonna say the other thing is that's interesting, and again, not because I have any idea how the this stuff connects, but Sigmund is Dr. Plesko, and Dr. Plesko was the guy that was interviewing Zodiac. And so yep. that's why I thought there was definitely something more going on with Zodiac because the guy that just happens to be interviewing him in in prison suddenly ends up getting murdered by some hitmen. That seems yep. a bit a bit suspicious. It it does so. seem a bit suspicious. So yeah. There uh, I think you're correct. There may be a connection there somewhere. So Yeah. But yeah. So that's kind of so. There's like five of the what eleven or twelve uh, are killed off on the on the evening, and then he stops them, but he's like unable to really find out what's going on. And he's like, um, you know, they were all people who worked with me. I owe them. I owe them all. Take the hitmen. They're all yours. And then he's off and and moving. You know, he's yeah. going to go and avenge them. Yeah, because Mark actually kind of wants to just kill the hitmen like try and beat information out of them and it's dr sturman who's basically like they're not going to tell you anything he they've based they're basically been had their mind wiped and programmed to just go out and kill these people and that's all they're all they're good for anymore yep and sturman's actually become a, a kind of over important character in a lot of ways from what you would have thought a therapist would be because she's in the office and he's talking to her about things everything from you know his problems with the avengers to what it's like to be uh, you know a jewish guy who is serving a, a long dead uh, egyptian god and things like this and then she also ends up getting kidnapped by zodiac and she ends up getting you know replaced by by waxman and she ends up coming out in the field and and helping him inter you know essentially interrogate supervillains so one of those sort of swiss knife type of characters that can do just about anything and, and ends up being in everything so so it's it's been interesting so i think you're caught up now the the first 20 books of the current jed mckay moon knight run at Dan, you meant, is there any last comments you want to make about the first 20 books? Remember, I have not read past this. No, I would just say that when we started this, McKay started these books around the start of the year, something like that, of 2022. And this was just as we were starting to build up towards the Moon Knight series, right? And I love the fact that as Moon Knight was going to television show, as he was sort of getting his his moment in the sun, that 15 minutes of fame, there was not only a good TV show, I think we both enjoyed it, uh, the, the show itself, but the comic books that were on the stand, if somebody decided they wanted to read Moon Knight coming out of that, were really a fresh start for the character, and they were excellent. So this is the run that was going the entire time that people were watching the moon knight series and if they did want to get into something i think this was a really accessible run it's going to end up probably being one of the two or three and, and again asterisk 
if they stick the landing, right? <laughs> yeah. Which they've got they've got one book left. I've read 29 of them. They're pretty good so far. I will say that the first 15 to to 20 really really hit hard. Some of the other ones, I know that uh, even on ITK they were talking that a lot of people have called the later ones filler. But they all build to something. What it really is is sort of like this weird jigsaw puzzle where there's different things and then you don't necessarily know, but they all fit together at the end. And so it's brilliantly done. I mean, even the fact, I think it's amazing to look at the fact that in the very first issue, Mr. Knight is in therapy with Dr. Sturman. And one of the first questions she asks him is, can you die? And Mr. Knight's like, I don't know. In the first issue, even though they didn't have a guarantee of going anywhere, he had already foreshadowed that one of the themes of this series was probably going to be, is Moon Knight mortal? Way before we ever got to the point where we were actually dealing with it. And And it just seems like there was so much, so much foreshadowed, so much planning it's just a magnificent story. And they, and they went back to it too, because Dr. Bader later on, after mm-hmm. he gets resurrected, says, you know, Conchu's power is not unlimited. It took everything he had because he's locked up to resurrect me this time. If somebody dies again, it might be permanent. He basically yeah. spells it out for him. It, you might not come back if you die again. And so they, yeah. the, the fact that that was the first question that was asked in book one and that they come back to it again later. And then we have what's called the final days of Moon Knight as this final arc. It's. I would say the main thing to keep in mind is that there can be kind of this cynical idea that when they do one of these death of books, it's because the author just ran out of ideas. And it's like DC in the early 90s. So what are we going to do with Superman? I don't know. Let's kill him. You know, that'll sell some stories, right? Right. In this case, Jed McKay has been thinking about this and planting the seeds and earning the ability to kill one of my favorite characters for three years. And I'm like, whatever, dude. You know, you've you've obviously thought about this. It's not a spur of the minute moment. You didn't have something else to do. This is where this series was going from book one, if he got there. And to your point, he has other ideas because there's another series coming up right yeah. after this with the name Moon Knight on it. So it's not for a lack of ideas that this so, book that this run is coming to an end. So I'm I'm enjoying it all. It all goes back to for me. We can put the link in the uh, in the show notes. There's a there's a Bloom County comic strip from 1985 where <laughs> where Burke Breath had talked about about foreshadowing, and he's like foreshadowing your clue to quality literature, and it stayed with me my whole life that I love it when an author plants these seeds well in advance of when they need them, just so that when they get to that point later. You're like, oh, yeah, I should I should have known this was coming because you were talking about it back here, right? Yeah. So I think it's very difficult to be surprised that they announced there would be a final days of Moon Knight. 
because it was the writing has been on the wall for a long time. Yeah. All right, where Dan? Where we talked a little bit about what we're going to be looking at next week to get to continue this look towards the final days of Moon Knight. What books are we looking at next week? To keep this going. So what we're going to do is we're going to go continue first off with these 21 through 24, which takes us through kind of the next arc of the Moon Knight story. 25 is a double-sized issue that sort of reintroduces the big bad and leads us directly into the end. So 25 to 30 is going to kind of be that story. So we're going to do four books next week, kind of of a little bit more in detail talking about what, what happened in those. And then we're going to look at Moon Knight City of the Dead, number one through five, which is the one where they introduce Layla and they talk a little bit about more about uh, Mark Spector's backstory as a mercenary and they fill in a lot of other things. And so that's going to be also referenced a bit in 21 through 24 because we see a little bit of those same characters in the Moon Knight regular series. So it all kind of comes together, and we'll talk about those and get us ready. It's going to also be noted that Moon Knight has actually had a bit of a renaissance while this run has been going on, while the TV show went on. Moon Knight's shown up in a bunch of different places. There's been some annuals doing a kind of a co-headlining book with Miss Marvel. There's a lot of other uh, like Contest of Chaos. There's a book with Moon Knight in it as well. So we're going to take a little bit of a view at some of the other things that Moon Knight has been doing with City of the Dead. But there, there's a, been a lot of Moon Knight content that's come out since middle of 2021 and, and this Jed McKay run. Yep. And a lot of it is, is somewhat interesting, but really none of it impacts the main storyline except for City of the Dead. So we're kind of just, we'll maybe mention it, throw them in the notes in case you want to see what's going on. But we're not going to go in and talk a lot about, say, Contest of Champions and stuff like that and how Moon Knight worked into it. Because it would just be enough to melt everybody's brain to try and keep all of these massive crossover things going. All right, and with that, that is going to wrap it up for us for this week. We'd like to thank you all for joining us. If you're new to the podcast, please consider subscribing on your podcast player of choice. That way you'll get each new episode as soon as it's released. Whether you're new to the show or you've been with us from the beginning, we'd love to get your thoughts on what we talked about, the first 20 books of Jed McKay's Moon Knight run. If you've been reading them and want to share your thoughts, you can send them to us via email. That address is comments at comicsovertime.com, or you can reach out to us via social media on X at Comics Overtime or on Blue Sky. We are at Comics Overtime. Dan, it was great rereading some of these Moon Knight books that, that we had read once upon a time. I'm really, really excited to see where this story goes. Uh, I, I'm very much looking forward to getting together next week and talking about the next the next few books in the in this run. Yeah, it's going to be a good time. It is nice getting a chance to check back in with this character and kind of take this this massive overview of we've never done thirty comics against uh, against six hours of of uh, 
movie or television for. So it's going to be uh, going to be interesting. Till next week. Take care, everybody. All right. We'll see you later, folks. <laughs>